Good morning and welcome to Crime Over Coffee. We're your host, I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. And today we are going to tell you about the mysterious icebox murders from 1965. So grab your cup of joe and let's dive in. Our story surrounds the Rogers family in Houston, Texas. Fred was 81 and his wife, Edwina, was 79. And for the last 10 years, they had lived in a small five-room, one-and-a-half-story home in the Montrose neighborhood at 1815 Driscoll Street, which the Montrose neighborhood is known for their hipster culture, along with their art, food, and nightlife. Years later, in 2009, this neighborhood was actually named one of the 10 greatest neighborhoods in America. Hold on, let me write this down for me to move to later. (laughs) That sounds just like my place. Yeah, it sounds like a really great place. Fred and Edwina's son Charles was 43, and he lived with them after he had served in World War II. Edwina worked as a salesperson for the Stanley firm, and Fred was known as being a bookie when Charles was growing up, and he was involved with gambling and fraud. What exactly is a bookie? It's typically known in more of a like negative term, but nowadays actually a bookie can also be known for just like a regular bookkeeper for anything. But I believe in this situation, he was a bookie with his gambling and fraud activities. I guess that's the way I always heard it is in the negative connotation. Our story continues on Wednesday, June 23rd, 1965. The Houston Police Department received a call from Marvin Martin, who is a nephew of Fred and Edwina Rogers. He was asking the officers to go to the home of his aunt and uncle to complete a welfare check as they had not answered their phone or returned his calls for several days. Two officers showed up to the Rogers house, and when they first arrived, they saw the son's car in the driveway, and so the officers began to knock on the door and after getting no response from the couple, the officers tried to enter the home only to find out that the doors and windows were locked. So they kicked the door down and began investigating the home. They walked through each room of the house on the main floor, noticing the house was a mess, but not really giving that too much of attention because as Marvin had told the police, his aunt Edwina was not a very cleanly person and he straight up said that she sucked as a housekeeper. (laughs) I know a couple of those. Yeah. So when they got to the kitchen, the police noticed that there was food on the table. However, there was no other sign that the couple was home. Upon further investigation of the home, one of the officers, Charles Bullock, went to open the fridge. And I'm not 100% sure what his reasoning for opening the fridge was, because there are two different theories that I've read throughout my research that pop up just as much as the other so one of the theories is that he was opening it to grab a cold beer because it was a really hot day and others say that he noticed a strong foul odor coming from the fridge i really hope he was not opening it to grab a beer i kind of thought the same thing because he's an officer he's on the job he's got duty to complete but it's a small town so maybe they just kind of had that kind of comfortableness with each other where he felt like he could and he just like assumed that there was beer in there yeah apparently i i don't know like i said i'm not sure that which one of these reasonings is why he opened the fridge but i saw both of them throughout my research 
Well, I wonder, the odor could possibly just be from spoiled food. How long was it again? It had been about five days since anybody had heard from the Rogers family. But when the officer opened the fridge, the only thing that he saw at first was what he believed to be hog meat stacked on the shelves. But when he went to shut the door to the fridge, he noticed something at the bottom. And I'm sure his heart dropped when he looked into the compartments that you can like store fruits and veggies in and saw two heads. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The heads were determined to be that of Fred and Edwina Rogers, and the meat that was thought to be hog meat was discovered to be the dismembered remains of the elderly couple. The exact quote from Officer Bullock was that, I opened up a refrigerator and see nothing but meat in it. My partner standing next to me made the comment that it looked like somebody had butchered a hog. We didn't know it was a body until we got ready to close the refrigerator and we could see the head down in the bottom of the vegetable bin. There was little blood in the house and it looked as if whoever had done this had washed the house clean. The autopsy completed on the couple showed that they had actually been murdered three days earlier on Father's Day, June 20th, 1965, and that the cause of deaths were horrific. Edwina had been shot in the head execution style after having been beaten. Fred was determined to have been killed after suffering multiple hits to his head with a claw hammer being used as a weapon. So were they dismembered after death then? Yes. His eyes had been gouged out and his genitals had been removed. Oh, that's so gross. Investigation of the home showed that the killer had dragged the dead bodies of the couple into a master bathroom where he drained the blood of his victims and then dismembered their bodies. It is said that whoever did this had some knowledge of anatomy. It was also discovered that the organs had been removed from the couple and they had been cut up and flushed down the toilet as they were found in a nearby sewer. And I know you guys can't see my face right now, but this, it's of disgust. This is horrible. That is so gross. Yeah, he definitely took his time with the victims and I, I don't really know why he felt the need to cut them up or flush their organs down the toilet. Like, I can't even kill a spider. <laughs> <laughs> True. There were traces of blood found on the floor of the bathroom and of the kitchen, even though they had been thoroughly cleaned. There was also small amounts of blood found on the stairs leading up to Charles' bedroom. 
There was no evidence of forced entry. All of the doors and windows were locked and the blinds had been drawn shut. When police talked to neighbors, they learned that the couple had not been seen or heard from at all that entire week. Police also found that Marvin had not talked to his aunt since he had called her on the Friday before, which would have been five days before the bodies were found. Marvin stated that it had been about two weeks since he had visited his aunt and uncle, and when he typically visited, their son Charles was never home. Inside the home, police found it to be quite a mess, covered with dirty dishes, newspapers, mail, and magazines. So, we start to look at the possible list of suspects. And the police really have their main theory on who the suspect is, but I kind of want to take a second to just briefly look at the possibilities and discuss other possible suspects. So, one of my thoughts is, what if it was just a random passerby? So somebody from the town or somebody traveling through town and they were just either on a killing spree or there was something specific with the family that they were going for. Yeah, we see a theory similar to this in the Velisca murders because with like the uh, movements of in all the towns, they were hoping that it was just a passerby traveling through. Yeah, and that's a theory that you can't ever really just completely rule out until you know who did it, because there's always just that chance that some random person with some serial killer tendencies decided to come through town. And with a murder this intense, I guess, for lack of a better term, I feel like it's easier sometimes to believe that it is just some like crazed serial killer. But if it was a like a random passerby, someone coming through... Where was Charles? Was he there during it or? Um, I will actually get into a lot more about Charles later and it's going to make more sense when we get to that. Another theory that I actually did see online more frequently than the passerby was what if it was a robbery gone bad? Gone so bad that he killed them and then tore up their bodies I mean, it's definitely kind of a far-fetched theory because there's a lot of violence in this murder, but, and there wasn't anything reported to be missing. Yeah. Well, it just feels like for the type of murder it is in the extremity of it, it was somebody with the intent of going in and doing this. Oh, I would agree a hundred percent. It's just, like I said, a theory that I found online and one that I felt like we should discuss because there's always that chance. Our main suspect, though, is Charles Rogers, the son of Fred and Edwina. So I'm going to kind of really go into his background and some history on him. So Charles was a pilot and a seismologist, which by definition is the scientific study of earthquakes and other related phenomena. Charles had a Bachelor of Science degree in nuclear physics, and he spoke about seven languages, which It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it sounds like he was pretty intelligent. Yeah, absolutely. Charles had never married. He did have a longtime girlfriend, though. And he served during World War II in the Office of Naval Intelligence. And shortly after serving in the war, he began working as a seismologist for Shell Oil for about nine years before he just randomly up and quit in 1957 with no explanation. Which seems pretty odd for spending nine years there. 
I would agree. You'd think after nine years, you are probably really wanting to stay with the company or something happens to make you want to leave. You at least have an explanation for it. Yes, because normally after you've been at a company for about six months to a year, you know if you want to stay with that company or not. He was clearly pretty comfortable in it. Yeah. So like I had mentioned earlier, Charles was 43 years old and living with his parents in the upstairs bedroom. So the house, like I had said, was only about one and a half stories high. So from what I understood, the bedroom was the only thing upstairs. There may have been a bathroom up there, but I couldn't find that in anything that I was reading. Even though Charles lived with his parents, neighbors report that they never really saw him much, and most of the neighbors had no idea that he even lived there. And it's believed that he pretty much would only come and go at night when his family was sleeping. While they were investigating, they did not find much blood throughout the home, but they did find evidence in Charles's room that the bodies of both Fred and Edwina had been in there, as their blood was found in the bedroom. Which... Seems weird. Would they have been dragged up there then? Or is it thought that they were killed in there? So it's confusing. When I was reading, I kept seeing that they had been drained of their blood in a bathroom. But in some articles, it was saying in the upstairs bathroom. And in other articles, it was saying in the downstairs master bathroom. So... I kind of feel like maybe it was the upstairs bathroom since his bedroom was upstairs and there was blood found up there and they said that the bodies had been dragged to the bathroom. That was pretty consistent across all the articles. I couldn't find a picture of the house to be able to corroborate either side of the story. So I'm not sure if they were drug up there and that was where they were killed or it wasn't actually like... I guess that kind of... That puts, if they were drug up there, I mean, I feel like it would have had to been a pretty physically fit person to drag two, like, bodies up the stairs. Do you know Charles's build? Yeah, um, Charles was actually 5 feet 7 inches tall and about 140 pounds. So, it would take probably a lot of muscle, like you said, to drag them up the stairs, But they were both elderly, and I don't know the build of Fred and Edwina. So a lot of elderly people, I guess, when I'm picturing them, they tend to be a little bit more frail and maybe a little bit lighter. And if you see the... I'll show you pictures of them real quick. They kind of look as if they would be thin and pretty light and easy to lift. They do look pretty small. And those that picture will also be on our social media if you want to go and check it out. They also found a keyhole saw in Charles's bedroom that had blood on it, and they believed that it was what was used to cut up the bodies, which for those of you that don't know, a keyhole saw is a long, narrow saw that is used for cutting small, often awkward pieces of various building materials. So it's not electric, and Abby, I'm going to show you a photo of it. Um, And this will also be on our social media. If you want to try to describe it to the viewers in like your. Yeah, it's got like, it's got a handle on it and it kind of, it's like a really skinny triangle. It comes to a point. I can't really tell how the size of it from that picture, but it looks pretty small. It's not very big. No. And like I said, it's not electric. So I think that it would take a 
decent amount of time and strength to be able to cut up two bodies with it. Like I said, police believe that this is the weapon that was used. I find that hard to believe almost looking at it. It doesn't look like it's not heavy duty at all. It, it definitely doesn't look like something someone would be able to use to cut up a body. Yeah, no, I'm, I question it myself, but there was nothing else found in the home that indicated that that could have been used. Did they find blood on it? There was some, a little bit of blood on the keyhole saw. There was like traces of it. But like I had mentioned, the killer did clean up the house pretty well. I wasn't sure if they were able to use um, the luminol to detect where the blood was. They didn't say how they found the trace evidence. They just said that it was on the saw. And like I had mentioned, the bodies had been drained of their blood. So when the bodies were being, and not to go into too much detail here, but when the bodies were being cut up, there probably wouldn't have been that much blood that was actually coming out of the bodies at that point. I guess this is just my theory. I wonder, maybe the trace, depending on how much blood or how much trace evidence is, if it was just a tiny bit, maybe someone had cut themselves and that's what the blood was from, like in a previous time, and then the actual weapon used to cut them up had been removed from the household, maybe. And that's possible. I don't know if they did DNA testing on it. I'm assuming that they probably did. They didn't really say anywhere, but the police did say that they believed that this was the weapon used. So I'm assuming that they had some more details than what we have. That makes sense. That happens quite a bit. So there's conflicting reports as to whether or not all of the weapons involved in the murder were found. But they do believe that they found the keyhole saw that was used to cut up the bodies, the claw hammer that was used, and then the scissors. But I couldn't find any reports stating that the gun was found that had been used to shoot Edwina. This information, though, was enough to immediately send the police searching for Charles. They sent out a warrant stating that they were looking for him as he was believed to be a material witness to his parents. And that's just what the warrant said. They didn't say that he was their main suspect. They didn't say that they believed that he had done it. They just said that he knew information that they were very interested in, which nowadays they call that a person of interest. So that's just somebody that they really want to speak to because they believe they have knowledge about the crime. However, they didn't have any luck with finding Charles. While police had signs indicating that Charles was very likely the one that had killed his parents, they had no idea what the motive could have been for the couple's one and only son. In July of 1965, a man was arrested by an officer for disturbing the peace. So this was just about a month later. The officer that arrested him was named Alvin Hoke, and he had grown up with Charles Rogers. Alvin claimed that he thought this man was Charles, and upon arresting him, the man ended up admitting that he was Charles, which to the police was great because they'd finally got the man that they had been looking for this last month. However, after doing a fingerprint comparison, they were finally able to determine that this man was in fact not Charles. His name was actually William Hughes, and his reasoning for pretending to be Charles was the simple fact that he felt things were, quote, slow around here, end quote. And he wanted to liven things up. Yikes. Yeah, his exact quote about what had happened was, quote, some damn cop put me in jail for disturbing the peace, but I don't really know just what it was for. I don't know anything about this, Rogers, but I thought I would just see what it was all about. So, 
I will never really understand the reasoning behind false confessions. Like, I get that people who are in prison for years or in jail for years are bored sometimes and they just want to have some fun, like rile the police up, maybe even get the chance to like leave to show evidence. But I don't always understand why people on the streets are just like, yo, I did it. Well, and it's funny because he clearly didn't understand what they were looking at Charles for maybe because who, I can't imagine why he'd admit then. But like you said, yeah, I agree when you're like people in prison giving false confessions, they're probably doing it for some type of either gain in maybe where they're living or just to get out of their cell block. But this guy, I'm not, I hate it, but you know, we've probably met some of the people that would do something like this. I'm sure we have. That's <laughs> just, you know, they're just, how, did it say how old he was? It didn't. I wonder how old he was and if he was just kind of being like a dumbass. Possibly. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing, what his plan was. But it actually said that Officer Hoke had arrested him for disturbing the peace, which is a very, very broad reason to arrest somebody. So... Part of me wonders, because this Officer Hope guy had grown up with Charles Rogers, if he thought that this was Charles and was looking for just anything to arrest him, to bring him in, to get his fingerprint. So I wonder if he, disturbing the peace could be as simple as having your music up a little too loud. So I can't help but wonder if maybe this officer had other reasons for arresting William Hughes. That's a really interesting point. In 1992 is really the first time that a theory came through regarding why Charles may have murdered his parents. And this theory came from authors John Craig and Philip Rogers, who had no relation to the family. So between the years of 1965 and 1992, there was really no theory as to why Charles would have murdered his parents. There were just pieces of evidence that led police officials to believe that he did. Their reasoning that they came up with was that they believed Charles had actually been a part of the John F. Kennedy assassination because he had worked as a CIA hitman. It was also known that when Charles was a member of the Civil Air Patrol in 1950, he had become friends with David Ferry, who was the flight instructor for Lee Harvey Oswald. So David was later named as a conspirator in the JFK assassination. And because Charles had a connection to David, who in turn had a connection to Lee, they believed that the three of them all conspired together and took part in the assassination in 1963. Wait, so what does this have to do with Charles' parents? They believed that Charles was involved in the killing and his mother had been tracking his phone calls And through that tracking is how she had found out that he had been a part of this assassination and she threatened to out him. And so he decided that the only way to keep their secret was to murder his parents. Okay, a little goofy, but fair. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt on this. I don't feel like that explains the violent nature of the murder. I agree. I don't see why your mother finding something out would cause the violence, but I'm going to get into more details about Charles's childhood going forward. And there are things that didn't come to light until 1997. So 
we're about to go into the next theory and like I said I'll kind of go back through his childhood and it will make a little bit more sense so the next theory as to why he would have murdered his parents came in 1997 from a couple of Houston forensic accountants. Their names were Hugh and Martha Gardiner. They were married, they were husband and wife, and they decided to do some investigating of their own. So they basically took everything that they had learned from police officers and threw it out the window, starting the investigation from scratch. So what they learned is actually going to negate some of the things that I just told you about this case. So if you need me to stop and like go back through some pieces, just stop me. So it might get a little confusing. So first off, Martha and Hugh did not believe that Charles was a part of the CIA, but that he had made deals with people in the CIA when he had worked as a seismologist. And they believed that the police did not have enough resources or time to properly investigate the murder at the time that it happened. So even though they had no background in law enforcement, they decided to take things into their own hands and try to investigate it in the way that they felt was more proper. So Martha and her son would go to the Montreux neighborhood where the couple was brutally murdered and they would measure the openings to the sewers. They even went a step further and looked into exactly which sewers connected to the house and realized that the sewers the police had found the couple's organs in were not even connected to the house. And therefore, if they had been flushed down the toilet like the police had originally said, they would not have ended up where they were found. So did they think that maybe somebody placed the body parts in the sewers? So I didn't see one way or another, but from what I gathered, that is what Hugh and Martha believe, is that they were not actually flushed there, but they were actually dropped off into the sewer there. I also wondered, too, and I'm sure they thought it through to look into it, if they had, like, laid down new piping, I guess, or, like, if it was the same as it originally was, the sewer system. So, that's actually a good question. Um, They had actually gone to the city planning department, and they looked into the archives to see what had actually been connected to the house back in 1965. Because it was, like, 30 years later. That's so, what that is a good point, yeah. My question was, but... I'm glad they were smart enough to go check that out. Yeah, these two people had thought everything through when they were investigating this case. So they actually ended up interviewing over 100 people and spent more than 5,000 hours investigating this case. Were they personally connected at all or just really curious? They were just really curious and they felt like they could solve it with the resources that they had. Power to them. Yeah. So Hugh and Martha learned from the family's maid that Edwina had supposedly not even seen her son Charles' face in over five years. But didn't they live together? Yeah. That's insane. Which I find super strange. The main way that Charles communicated with his parents was by slipping notes back and forth underneath doors. Um... Talk about disconnected. (laughs) First off, why weren't you just leaving the note in like the kitchen? Slipping it under the door seems really weird. Aside from the fact that just writing them notes is really weird. I guess that's the equivalent of like texting your parents nowadays. But Slipping notes under the door. (laughs) Like I don't live with my parents anymore. I live on my own and I still see them at least once a week typically, let alone once every five years yeah and 
you know, there are people who don't talk to their parents anymore, but they don't live in the same house. That's something that I thought was super strange, but we're going to kind of come back to that. So, which I know I keep saying we're going to come back to it, but really it's going to make more sense at the end. So, like I said, most of the neighbors didn't even know that Charles existed or lived in this house with his parents. And there was a neighbor that had lived next to the family for seven years and had no idea that Charles was there. There was only one neighbor that admitted to even knowing that he lived there. And this family had been living in their home, like I said, for 10 years at this point. Did I remember earlier you said that his car was still in the driveway. Did they have two cars or was it just the one? I didn't see anything about Hugh and Martha's car either way, saying whether or not it was in the driveway. I'm going to kind of assume that it was because from what the police understood, the family was home. Yeah, I guess I just wonder because even if you don't necessarily see him, I feel like you would notice when there's different cars in the driveway. I guess if there were two, you could assume the couple each just had their own. So the only time that Charles would like leave the house was super early in the morning and he wouldn't return until way later at night. So the only time he was coming in and out of the house, it was dark. His parents were asleep. So it's possible that the neighbors never even saw this vehicle. I wonder too how often he actually made it home to his bed. I wonder if there were maybe times where he just stayed out wherever he was well and i had said that he had a longtime girlfriend so it's possible that he was even staying with his girlfriend at times yeah i've definitely had roommates before where it's like i don't live with them because they're at a significant others the majority of the time yeah so that i mean that's possible that that's where he was but i just think it's super strange that the neighbors had no idea and it was a neighborhood it wasn't like the house that my parents live in where you can't see any neighbors it was side by side houses so Hugh and Martha did tons of research and digging and they found out a lot more about Charles's not so perfect childhood along with his dad being a bookie Charles was also bullied constantly by peers and abused by his parents And this abuse continued into his adulthood. I couldn't find if this was just emotional or verbal or physical abuse, like what kind of it was. But I kind of assumed from everything I've gathered that it was any and all types of abuse. Do you happen to know how they found that out? Is there... I wonder how much of it was evidence or like rumors or people had heard this story. Like how concrete was this information, do you think? Like I had said, they interviewed over a hundred people, so I'm assuming that they had just gathered this information through interviews. I don't know if this is something that police had looked into before, or if it was really just from all of the people that they talked to. So it may not be as concrete, but what Hugh and Martha have learned actually has a lot of credibility nowadays. So Charles pretty much chose to be a loner from a young age, just mainly to protect himself from the abuse and from all of the bullies, which I think is super sad that that's the life that he had to grow up in. 100%. I don't, regardless of anything, you never want to hear about a kid getting bullied. Yeah, it's absolutely terrible, especially when his parents are also the ones abusing him or bullying him, you know? So he had no escape. Correct. And your home's supposed to be your safe place and... You're supposed to feel comfortable there. And if your parents are treating you unfairly like this, then 
I can understand choosing to be a loner as a defense mechanism. Yeah. Even though he continued to live with his parents, it was really like he wasn't even there. Hugh and Martha also learned that Fred and Edwina had taken out many loans in Charles's name and would cash the money out to spend it on things and just not pay the loans back. Did you say was Charles, did he have a, like a stable job? I had talked about how he had worked as a seismologist yeah. for nine years and then he just up and quit that job in 1957. So that was almost 10 years before this murder. And I couldn't find anything anywhere about a new job that he was working. So I don't know if at the time of the murders he was working a job. So I'm going to say something and reel me back in if it's too off the wall. Do we know that he was still around and in the area of where he was living with his parents? His girlfriend admits that he was. Okay. That's what I was wondering. So like, it sounds like he might have not even been there. Well, I mean, he had a vehicle there. His girlfriend was there. Yeah. I'm but if he would sure. have abandoned it, I guess. That's possible. And I guess I don't, I mean, with the letters being under the doors, I don't know who else would be writing oh. those. And there was apparently evidence because there was, they found clothing and different things in the house, in his bedroom. Mm-hmm. So it seems as if he was there. Okay. And he just, I guess, then either was doing odd jobs on the side or so yeah there was actually an article that i found that had talked about the neighbors seeing rogers is what they said so i don't know if they were talking about fred or charles taking newspapers and things out of the recycling and they thought that they were he was using that and like selling it for money but the article like i said only referred to Rogers, and it was super unclear to me as to whether or not they were referring to Fred or Charles. So, on top of all of the loans that they would take out in Charles's name, they had actually also taken the home out in Charles's name, and he was the owner of the house that the family of three lived in. Oh, wow. So, that could have been a big part of the reason that he was actually still in this house. Yeah, that would make sense, because you're liable for it. It's your house. Why would you leave? Exactly. I could totally see wanting to stay in the house that is technically in your name. Hugh and Martha believe that Charles spent days in the home after the murders, assuring that everything was clean and could not be directly traced to him. Hugh and Martha then tracked down Charles' girlfriend at the time of the murders and were led to believe that she was waiting for him and helped him escape off to Chihuahua, Mexico. She was clearly... Possibly, I guess, around when Hugh and uh, Martha were asking her questions. But did at any point after the murders, did she leave for an extended period of time where you could have maybe thought that she was down in Mexico as well? Not that I found anywhere. They just had interviewed her and talked to her and this was what they had gathered. They also found, and I don't know if this was also through the girlfriend, but Charles had his pilot's license, as we had seen before. So... They thought it was possible that he just flew off using his own plane, and that's why he was able to stay under the radar after the murders, which is kind of super smart and lucky. Oh, yeah. I didn't know he had a plane, his own. Yeah, I didn't either until I got to, like, this specific part. So I'm not sure if this was something that the police looked into at the time or if this was just something that Hugh and Martha had found when they were researching. And Was his plane located or found? His plane was found. So Charles's plane was a Cessna 140, 
And they found out that the plane had actually been sold to a man named Pop Fullwood, who then ended up selling it to Anthony Pitts. Anthony had worked with Charles years before the murders had happened, and Hugh and Martha kept digging deeper and deeper into the case and found the widow of John Mackey, someone that was known to have also worked with Charles. When talking to the widow, they learned that Charles had worked for John, helping dig mines in Mexico and Honduras. Hugh and Martha believed that this murder was one that Charles had been maliciously planning for years and years before he finally acted out on it. Hugh and Martha even wrote a book about why they believe that Charles killed his parents. It is called The Icebox Murders, and you can find it online if you're interested in reading it. Police spent years searching for Charles in connection to the murder of his parents. However, police officials did not have any luck. Charles was eventually declared dead 10 years after the murders in 1975, after the widow of John Mackey told police that while he was working in Honduras digging in the mines, he had actually been murdered by other miners after a business deal went wrong. Supposedly, according to the wife, he had been pickaxed to death and then the body was disposed of in a nearby river. Even with no proof of the body, the judge decided to rule Charles as dead so they could sell the home he owned. The home that the family lived in was then sold and eventually in 2000, it was turned into condos. Some believe that Charles is still alive and possibly living in South Africa working as a geologist and it is possible that he's living somewhere still alive as a free man, but maybe he was also met with a terrible fate. The case is still considered a cold case and is probably one of those ones that will go down in history as never having been solved. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepot at outlook.com. If you would like to support us, go to anchor.fm forward slash Erica Abby. Donations to our podcast are greatly appreciated and go into making the podcast possible. If you like us, you can recommend us or give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us on your podcast listening medium. Thank you so much.